the tentacles of, of the case reached all the way, obviously, to Washington. Agencies didn't do anything. Everybody was covering this. It was ass covering all the way up and down the line. Nobody took an interest in it. Nobody took an interest in it. Nobody cared about it. That's senior investigator David Rubin of the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. And what nobody cared about was that Jim Jones was able to orchestrate mass murder and suicide in the largest mass killing of American citizens until 9-11. This is Oversight Jonestown, CQ Roll Call's podcast where we re-examine our nation's scandals through the prism of congressional investigation. We're telling this story at a moment when congressional oversight is again gripping the nation. I'm Sheila McVicker, and in this episode, we'll travel to the halls of power in Washington, D.C., the heart of government oversight. You would think that in Jonestown's aftermath, more than 900 American deaths, more than 300 children murdered, extensive physical abuse, mental abuse, kidnapping, there would be calls for accountability. Imagine if after 9-11, only a cursory look into that tragedy's causes had happened. In this episode, we'll examine how even in the wake of Jonestown, investigation and oversight failed. We'll tell you how those who enabled and even covered for the Reverend Jim Jones were able to get away. We begin with the family of assassinated Congressman Leo Ryan, his daughters Erin and Patricia. I found out television news. That's the only that's that's the only notification I I ever got. My mother didn't get an official notification. I was in her house. Um, nobody from the government called us officially to let us know. It won't be the last time their government disappointed them. Days later, November 22, 1978, a nation horrified. The flag-draped casket of the congressman arrives in California on Air Force Two. They um, cleared the freeways for his motorcade um, for the body to go to the um, church where the funeral was held. And I remember thinking, like, that's the first time I'd ever seen that happen anywhere. That's Patricia Ryan remembering that day. Patricia and Aaron Ryan say when it came to their father's colleagues in the nation's capital, they felt betrayed, their father's memory slighted. And although Leo Ryan was gunned down in the line of duty, President Jimmy Carter did not attend the funeral. Neither did Vice President Walter Mondale. Just days after her father was buried, Patricia Ryan heard the president tell the nation I don't think that we ought to have an overreaction because of the Jonestown uh, tragedy by injecting government into trying to control people's religious beliefs. I remember being told that Jimmy Carter's response to this was, let's not overreact. I, I was insulted by that statement. But it seemed to me that it was, like Aaron said, it was, it was more based on, well, let's not go after um, religions. Let's not overreact to this. And to me, it was like, what do you mean overreact? What is there to overreact about? Um, we should be doing 
a major investigation of how this happened. The daughters were also worried for their safety. There were um, some of the defectors of People's Temple who were telling officials that um, that there was a death squad and that we needed to be protected, that there were people um, in People's Temple who were being ordered to take out his family. And we didn't know whether this was true or not, but you know, it wasn't just grieving for our father, it was like, holy crap. Fear. Like, you know, fear. There, there was like, a level of fear. In San Francisco, where the political establishment had courted Jim Jones and the votes he could deliver, people were looking for cover. Here's senior investigator David Rubin from the San Francisco District Attorney's Office, who tried but was prevented from investigating Jim Jones during his time in California. And it was like, um, wow, uh, what do we do? And I'm, I had several calls. I mean, uh, the FBI, police department, my people. I mean, everyone was circling the wagons very quickly. In episode three, David Rubin revealed to Oversight how powerful and corrupt city politicians gave Jim Jones's own lawyer a job in the DA's office and how the district attorney refused to hold a grand jury to investigate Jones. After the massacre, Rubin is back on the case. Do we know anything? Uh, did we see this coming? Are we doing anything right now? What should we do? Now all of a sudden we have support of everybody. We start a grand jury. Almost immediately, we're called in to say the feds are taking it over. So we stopped. Pretty quickly, we were ordered to stand down, and now it was going to be a U.S. attorney FBI investigation. What does the FBI know? As we've told you before, nothing. So they turned to Reuben for help. First stop, airport arrivals. Plane comes in. Survivors are on the plane. They've been in the jungle. They've been, uh, some of them were wounded, uh, without sleep, without food. I mean, just a horrific uh, situation, and they were in terrible shape. Okay, the FBI is going to be talking to you guys to do a debrief. And the FBI goes from not involved to having two agents interrogating, interviewing every survivor. And I remember listening, overhearing two agents talking to one of the survivors and they were still talking about the history of people's temple how did you join or something along that line after quite a period of time and i remember our frustration going boy it's going to be a long haul because they were pretty much starting from scratch the fbi agents were working to assist the u.s attorney and a federal grand jury investigation a grand jury works behind closed doors to hear sworn testimony and then determine if criminal charges could or should be brought. There were People's Temple survivors, defectors, and even supporters who could have helped to build cases against the remaining leadership and corrupt state and city officials. We also know that two people with valuable information were never called to testify. When we spoke to David Rubin, he told us he witnessed corruption and obstruction in the San Francisco District Attorney's Office that interfered with criminal investigations of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. He was never summoned. 
Yolanda Williams, who had been a member of the senior leadership of the People's Temple and who had sworn an affidavit detailing the abuses that she saw, told us this. So there was a grand jury impaneled in January of 1979 after the massacre. Really? Were you called to testify? No. Never knew it even happened or occurred. Good evening and welcome once again to A Closer Look. I'm Belva Davis. After the massacre, journalists dug deeper into the People's Temple and into what Jim Jones and his lieutenants had been up to in California before the flight to Guyana. In San Francisco, the DA's office had received complaints ranging from child abduction to homicide. The FBI is now delving into this apparent immunity from prosecution that Jones had miraculously acquired throughout his 20-year career. There was this report on NBC News. It's about guns being smuggled into Guyana by the People's Temple. This alleged gun running took place in 1977, at a time when Jim Jones was still in San Francisco before the flight to Guyana, and at the height of his political power. The intelligence unit mentioned is a unit of the San Francisco Police Department. According to law enforcement sources, shortly after the intelligence unit learned of the possible shipment of weapons, a representative of the mayor's office called and asked to be briefed on the investigation. And soon afterwards, Police Chief Charles Gain ordered the investigation terminated without giving a reason. That's another allegation of political corruption, with officials still in place who could have been held accountable. As we explained in Episode 3, San Francisco was a bedrock of corruption. Now, at last, there's some heat building. And then, nine days after the news of the mass murders and suicides... Both Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. A few moments later, Dan White surrendered to the police. This is a stunned city. A city known for embracing gay rights had its hero, Harvey Milk, and the city's populist mayor, George Moscone, gunned down in broad daylight. For a brief moment, there were rumors that People's Temple survivors might have pulled the trigger. San Franciscans were just about getting over the shock of the People's Temple horrors when today's tragedy occurred. Initial reaction was that the two were connected, but they were not. Inside city Hall, and, and a city was, was just swamped with uh, these two miserable events. And... The one that had a, a great, greater length to it or more importance was the City Hall assassinations of a gay leader and the mayor of the city. That's Marshall Kilduff, whose groundbreaking article the previous year blew the whistle on Jim Jones and the People's Temple that led to the flight to Guyana. In November 1978, he was a City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. All of the attention, all of the concern really went away from Jones, left him kind of... Yeah, his rise to power, the, the aftermath, all of that got sort of subsumed by the public concern about the other, other big story. David Rubin again. It was a perfect storm for People's Temple to fall off the grid. It was unbelievable. I think in any other time period without that assassination, there would have been other developments. The investigation into gun running 
went nowhere. It was later discovered that a powerful political ally of Jim Jones told him about the investigation just one month after it began. The investigation was compromised nearly from the beginning. Investigations into corruption orchestrated by Jim Jones, his placement of the People's Temple lawyer into the district attorney's office, his vote-getting, voter fraud, his moles throughout city agencies, skimming state funds, his ability to collect cash. Brushed aside. Gone. And that federal grand jury? Only one criminal charge. It was against Larry Layton, the People's Temple member who in Guyana pretended to be a defector, pulled out a gun, and shot and wounded two people on the airstrip at Port Kaituma. Layton eventually went to trial and was convicted of conspiracy to murder Congressman Ryan. In 2002, he was released early on parole. But by mid-1979, Jonestown was nothing but a bad memory. Here's Patricia Ryan. As somebody who grew up believing that the government is supposed to be one thing and is supposed to be honest and open to its um, citizens, and when I see what happened to my father, who was a very honorable public servant, and people trying to sweep it under the rug, I just felt like, I don't know why, but I felt like they're trying to hide something. In California, there was never any public accounting of the corruption of public officials by Jim Jones in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, throughout the state. No public official was ever held to account or charged with any crime. Many are still alive. But in Washington, D.C., it was the U.S. Congress that now had jurisdiction, and it had not been bought off by Jones. It was now the job of Congress, which oversees federal agencies like the State Department, to understand why 918 Americans had died under its watch. The importance of oversight, I would say, first goes to the power of Congress to make good law. Without good oversight, you can't make good law. You need your own facts. That's Justin Rood, Director of Congressional Oversight for the Project on Government Oversight, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C., that investigates and works to expose waste, fraud, abuse, and conflicts of interest in the U.S. federal government. Um, another example of the importance of congressional oversight would be looking at the functions of government, which again, Agencies can do bad things and make bad choices, and senior officials can do bad things and make bad choices that are not necessarily criminal. The highest kind of form of this, obviously, are impeachable offenses by the president. That's one way of looking at it. Here's another. Listen, why was there a congressional investigation, to be very blunt, because a member of Congress was killed? That's Evo Spalatin one of three congressional investigators who conducted the six-month House Foreign Affairs Committee investigation. Back then, it was known as the Committee on International Relations. And the primary oversight responsibility Spalatin and his colleagues had was over the State Department. His job? To organize subcommittee hearings and, and investigate topical issues. On which So investigations could be of a policy matter or it could be of a typical tra tra an event like this tragedy. 
Spalatin knew Congressman Leo Ryan personally, since Ryan served on the Committee on International Relations. Leo was a somewhat of a cantankerous, independent, not-go-along type guy. Simply put, Ryan was controversial. He took his duty to the public seriously, and he was not afraid to pursue what he believed was right, even when it angered others. I mean, he was fulfilling, for anybody who wants to be a public official, a fundamental public official function. And he fulfilled it to, you know, A+. a plus. And so that was a big motivating factor for me personally. I was honored to, to be able to continue to try to say, okay, how do we make sure this never happens again and all that good stuff. And Spalatin traveled to the ruins of Jonestown. Well, there was a room where there were still 200 pairs, 300, 400 pairs of shoes still laying around. So that that immediately hit my, struck me as, wow. I said, it, it kind of, it gave, uh, I don't know, it gave to me a, a sense of, of um, starkness about this enormous human tragedy that could have been, should have been, might have been avoided, but it, but it, but it wasn't. At the same time, the State Department was running its own investigation. But instead of turning the matter over to an independent investigator, State relied on two former diplomats called back from retirement. Over 800 pages, the diplomats argued that the lack of investigative authority limited the actions diplomats could take, that there were some faults in the way some documents were handled, and that diplomats had not fully grasped how quickly Jim Jones and Jonestown were deteriorating. Congressional investigator Ivo Spalatin was not impressed. I thought it was, even that practice of, oh, we're just gonna hire two foreign service officers to do a self-examination. Give me a break. What a waste of time and money. So it was a CYA operation. Let's Let's be honest and open about it. In the end, the State Department report wrapped the knuckles of two diplomats, the ambassador John Burke, who died in 1993, and the former Guiana desk officer who had moved to a new job months before the tragedy, Frank Tuminia. I still feel this very strongly because at the end, as you can see from the report, there was some backhanded complaint about me and the ambassador. The only two people who look bad in this entire report, if you read it, is the ambassador and the desk officer. Mercifully, they don't mention my name too often, but everybody knew who it was. There was an implied statement in the report that somehow the desk officer was passive. But in this issue, I had to be passive. Whether the failures were because we didn't do something, because we're afraid of doing something, that's something else. We'd have to examine the court of law and say, who's responsible for this? I think there were a lot of people who could have acted in a more decisive way. They could have done different things. But again, the hindsight issue comes here. The congressional investigation had its own issues. The FBI moved to restrict as much information as possible from the congressional investigators. Declassified documents show the Bureau didn't even want to share the contact information for Jonestown survivors, witnesses Spalatin and his team wanted to talk to. In the end, the FBI investigation went nowhere. 
and Spalatin and his team didn't have the oversight authority to examine what law enforcement did or did not do. Don't forget, we, the Foreign Affairs Committee, we could not really examine the Justice Department. It was not within our jurisdiction. I think the argument you could make to me was, why didn't you Foreign Affairs Committee types go to your Judiciary Committee types and tell them to do the investigation? All right. Why we, not? That's uh, so. Maybe we dropped the ball on that one. I don't. I don't deny that. There were other matters also beyond the scope of these congressional investigators. Here's Aaron Ryan. One of the things Dad was looking at is is all the IRS, all the Social Security payments that were being sent down there, and Social Security fraud, and um, you know that there were. A huge amount of, of money involved in being being sent to the people down there. Are these people being used as as paychecks, as uh, sources of income for the for the group? There was one other area Spalatin and his team could examine. We could examine the CIA, and we did. By the way, we did not make a big deal about it because we concluded there was nothing to make, and we know how this town loves to have a little conspiracy thinking when something doesn't exist, and there was more than enough conspiracy thinking going on already. But we had wondered how much information the CIA might have had and turned to a source who has gone to court against the agency to force the declassification and release of documents. Talk to me about the CIA. Why did you think the Central Intelligence Agency might have documents that related to Jonestown or to Jim Jones? Well, you're asking the very same question that a caseworker, a FOIA caseworker at the CIA called me to ask, why do I think that the, uh, the CIA had anything on People's Temple? That's Fielding Mac McGee. Two of his sisters-in-law and a nephew died in Jonestown. With his wife, he's devoted much of the last 40 years to understand what happened at Jonestown and gather and disseminate as much information, documents, and analysis as possible relating to the People's Temple. Those documents and analysis can be found online at the Jonestown Institute. We did get some documents from the CIA. Most of them were pretty heavily blocked out. Um, and, And eventually some of the information, some of those documents that were blocked out have been released through periodic declassification efforts by federal agencies. And so we have gotten some more information, but but it it really does not challenge their assertion that they really had nothing to do with with the events in Jonestown, that they were not infiltrating it, uh, much less manipulating it, but they were, in fact, there was a little bit of monitoring going on, and some of that was through the embassy. Are you confident that you've now got all the documents that the CIA has that related to People's Temple and to Jim Jones? If they're playing fair, yes. And we got this intriguing tidbit from Aaron Ryan. I did work for the CIA for a number of years, and at one point in a forum of employees, members of the general counsel's office suggested that they had um, that they had had information and that they did not inform law enforcement. I don't know what the information was, but it was information that the general counsel of the CIA or staffers of the general counsel of the CIA suggested, suggested that they had that they had and that they withheld. 
I don't know any details except that they said that they had information that they did not provide. They said that apparently unaware that Leah Ryan's daughter was, that I was in the room in the room at the time. <laughs> Aaron Ryan never found out what the information was. We decided to file a Freedom of Information Act request for documents on Jonestown and Jim Jones with the CIA just to see what might come up. A month later, this happened. So we got a yellow envelope. There is more than one piece of paper inside this envelope. Okay, go for it. Let's open it up. Ms. Joanne Levine, Ms. Levine, this is a final response to your 11 September 2019 Freedom of Information Act request for records pertaining to Jonestown, the People's Temple, Jim Jones, and all members of the People's Temple from March 1977 to June 1979. Our records show that we have had numerous requests for records on the subject of your request. Therefore, we searched our previously released database and located the enclosed 20 documents totaling 49 pages. So here's what we got. Mostly redacted and blacked out pages. But there were two intriguing pieces of information. First, congressional investigators told the CIA that, quote, there were rampant rumors about CIA involvement with the People's Temple, and they had to check each one out. And one other document, written in a messy scrawl. This was a note saying the report of the congressional investigation written by Ivo Spalatin and his colleagues seemed to satisfy the chairman and members of the International Relations Committee. And as a result, there is no pressure at this time for public hearings. After 62 interviews and six months of work, the congressional investigation wrapped up. Did you feel that you were able to investigate all the things that you felt required investigation, that there was a full and complete airing of what led to not just the murder of Leo Ryan, but the murders and suicides of the others? The answer is yes, I do. Remember, the scope of Evo Spalatin's work was the State Department and its diplomats. When you um, looked back on your report into the the investigation into the assassination of of Leo Ryan, what strikes you? How frustrating it was. Why? Well, it was frustrating in many respects, but uh, we just couldn't, uh, we couldn't really identify a policy that needed to be changed. There was no, there was no smoking gun. There was no definitive change. The congressional investigators wrote that Jim Jones was a master manipulator and that, quote, he was first and foremost a master of mind control. The American diplomats in Guyana did not understand the level of, quote, highly irregular and illegal activities that were taking place in Jonestown. And even though there had been warnings of mass suicide and murder, not one of the 62 people interviewed by Evo Spalatin and his team ever anticipated the level of violence encountered by Congressman Leo Ryan and his delegation. What I'm saying is that Jim Jones had to be stopped, and he was never stopped for all kinds of complicated, understandable reasons. Is it reasonable to expect that the State Department should have been the institution to stop him? No, absolutely not. I mean, only they were required to because of the phenomenon we were in Guyana. 
Well, that, that's my point is that I, I think if, they're, if you're going to hold any set of local public officials accountable, it had to be California. But again, don't forget, in all fairness to them, this the issue came to the issue of the history of People's Temple of Jim Jones all came to fruition in the eighth inning of a ninth inning game. The congressional report made five bureaucratic recommendations, two of which called for better understanding of the tactics and methods used by cults. One called for an examination of the tax-exempt status of churches. Evo Spalatin's theory is that there would have been a far more comprehensive investigation of all aspects of Jim Jones and Jonestown if Congressman Ryan had survived. In, in, in a sick way, Jim Jones knew that Leo Ryan was not going to sit tight, and he knew that Leo Ryan had saw through their veneer. Leo Ryan would have came back and said, we need to do something, and I presume he would have. Oh, I'm pretty confident he would have. Leo Ryan was a very, uh, I mean, he would have viewed it, he would have been a proactive member of Congress, and that's what prompted him to do what he did. But for years, much of official Washington did not want anything more to do with Jonestown. Patricia Ryan worked for her father's successor, Tom Lantos, in his California office. He tried to get another hearing, a public investigation, into what happened. Finally, the congressman to organize it was Dante Fassell, Leo Ryan's former colleague on the International Relations Committee. And I um, flew back to be in D.C. for the hearing on a specific date. That's Patricia Ryan. As I remember walking down the halls towards the committee room to, to be there for the hearing, and um, I, I believe it was Dante Fassell who was kind of walking down the hall to come to us to tell us that unfortunately the hearing had been canceled. Just like that. The Ryan sisters said they never received any explanation. We weren't able to find one either but um, I just got the feeling that it was an embarrassment to them and that they didn't really want to talk about it. I believed then and I believe now that there was probably um, government, government resistance and, and, culpability. and culpability that they didn't want to, they didn't want to embarrass the government. And that's the end of the investigations, all of them. 918 dead Americans, hundreds murdered, including Congressman Leo Ryan. There was never any further public examination of what happened or why, let alone reflection on how a tragedy like this could be prevented. I asked David Rubin this. After 9-11, we saw that there was a public commission that examined what happened, who knew what, why intelligence didn't make it from one branch to another branch, how things had happened. We never saw any kind of public litigation of how Jonestown happened. Why do you think that was? The tentacles of the case reached all the way, obviously, to Washington. Agencies didn't do anything. Everybody was covering this. It was ass covering all the way up and down the line. You should have done something. Well, you should have done something. This political figure, this agency, whatever, a lot of finger pointing. A place like Customs could have said, well, we did something and couldn't make our case. The DA's office could have said, well, we tried to do something, but it was outside of our jurisdiction. 
the FBI would have said it was a local matter. The locals would have said it was not totally, you know, within our purview. Nobody took an interest in it. Nobody took an interest in it. Nobody cared about it. Aaron Ryan, again. We never got satisfactory answers um, from anybody in government, and I have absolutely no confidence that, given similar circumstances, that it couldn't happen again. This has always struck me as extremely ironic, the little saying above Jim Jones's chair in, in Jonestown, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But I don't know that we've learned anything from that. We have one more chapter to bring to you. In our first five episodes, we have told you stories of abuse, of coercion, of stolen children, and of murder. If there's any one emotion that ties all the people in this excruciating tale together, it's betrayal. Betrayal by Jim Jones, by law enforcement, by government, even by their fellow citizens. In our next episode, our epilogue, Listen to survivors and their families tell their stories of betrayal. Oversight Jonestown was reported and written by me and Joanne Levine. This episode was produced by Evan Campbell. Editing on this episode by Martha Ann Overland. Fact-checking by Noah Berman. Oversight Jonestown could not have happened without the reporting help and insights of our CQ colleagues, Mark Strickerts and Marsha Myers. A huge shout-out to Jillian Roberts for her tireless support. If you visit our website at rollcall.com forward slash Jonestown, you'll see a beautiful design by Marnie Prince. It was built by Patrick Blinghorn, Rajiv Manath, and Tom Schaefer. Oversight is a production of CQ Roll Call.